Thanks for joining us. Now, here's Pastor Phil with today's teaching. Let's listen. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 13? We are currently in kind of a, an interlude, a parenthesis in the book. Remember after uh, the sixth seal, there was a one chapter kind of a parenthesis or interlude, chapter 7, where we kind of recap some things and kind of zeroed in on a few other things. After the sixth trumpet, there is, is quite a large interlude about from chapters 10 through 14, where we are also kind of reviewing and zeroing in on certain things that kind of amplify and get a closer look at what's already gone on uh, in the book. Uh, the seventh trumpet, which technically has been sounded already, but we don't see all the effects happening at this point, we will pick up the chronological narrative in chapter 16, where the bold judgments will begin to be poured out. The seventh trumpet is going to introduce us eventually to the seven bold judgments. These are the last judgments in the book, and will then finish the wrath of God being poured out on the earth and bring Jesus back to establish his kingdom. Uh, along with the seven bowls, the seventh trumpet has also introduced us to seven personages, we have looked at five of them already in chapter 12. A woman clothed with the sun, a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, a male child, which of course was Jesus Christ himself, the archangel Michael casting Satan out of heaven, and the offspring of the woman persecuted by the dragon. Now in chapter 13, we are going to be introduced to the final two, and they are two coming world leaders, one political the other spiritual or religious. There are 33 titles of these two individuals in the Old Testament, 13 in the New. I mean, quite a lot is said about them. And uh, the name that we're used to the most for the political leader, of course, uh, who will unite the whole world in the one world government is the Antichrist. Now, as we've already said, anti, the word anti in the Greek could mean against or opposed to, but it could also mean in the place of. And I think that's the proper interpretation. I believe the Antichrist is going to set himself up not as somebody who is against Christ in the sense of against all religion. He is going to be a very religious man. He's going to set himself up as a substitute uh, in the place of Christ, the substitute Christ. Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 16, For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. And he's talking about this period of time we're studying. In fact, the Antichrist won't be the only false Christ running around. Because Jesus went on to say in Mark 13, verses 21 and 22, 
that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Much deception is going to be taking place during this period. Now, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Some manuscripts say, then he, in other words, the dragon or Satan, dragon, Satan, same person, stood on the sand of the sea. Chapter 13 is really a continuation of chapter 12. Here's how it flows. The end of chapter 12 says, and the dragon, Satan, was enraged with the woman, she represents Israel, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then he, the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. This is all connected. You have to reread chapter 12 to see what we're talking about, but... The war in heaven where Satan is cast out of heaven and is thrown down to the earth and he comes down to the earth having great wrath. Why? Because he knows his time is short. And so he's thrown out of heaven, comes down to the earth, and his objective here is to persecute Israel because she was the instrument through which Messiah was born, but also to persecute anyone who believes in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, whether they be Jew or Gentile. And his plan is basically to kind of incarnate himself into this earthly leader that we call the Antichrist, who up until this time has been presenting himself as a man of peace, right? Somebody who is working with the nations of the earth to bring about global peace and prosperity. However, at this point, this man now becomes a military tyrant. Think of Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Napoleon, all rolled into one. That's the guy the Antichrist is going to come. And the turning point that causes the Antichrist to show his true colors and allow Satan to enter into him is an event that's going to take place around the midpoint of the seven-year period that is so monumental it's mentioned three times in this chapter. And we're going to study that in a moment, so hang on to that thought, all right? But John said, Then he stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. The word beast there is the Greek word therion. It's a word that's used to describe the Antichrist here and also in chapter 11, verse 7. And this Greek word does not refer to a domesticated animal, but to a wild, savage, ravenous beast of prey. Quite a difference from this man of peace that we saw with the breaking of the sixth seal, excuse me, the first seal in chapter 6, how he comes on the scene riding a white horse, right? With a bow but no arrows, signifying he's a man of peace, you know? He's a good guy. Why? He's wearing white. Everybody knows the good guys wear white. Well, unless you're a bad guy wanting to deceive people into thinking you're a good guy. And that's, of course, how the Antichrist brings forth this or this deception. He, he lets everyone think he's a good guy. But we know he's a beast. We know that inside in his heart, there's a heart of war and conquest. He's just kind of maneuvering himself into position, or I should say the devil is maneuvering him into position so that uh, he's in a place to finally show his true colors. 
Now, when you read the word beast in chapter 13, be careful. Because it represents both a kingdom and a person. And we have to look at the context to determine when it's talking about a kingdom, the final world governing empire, or it's talking about the leader of that final world governing empire. The reason that they're so closely connected is because this final world empire is really inseparable from its leader. Think of Hitler and the Third Reich, okay? It's so connected, you can't really separate the two. So beast could mean the final kingdom, but it could also mean the Antichrist who rules that kingdom. Well, again, chapter 13, verse 1, John said, and he, sa- he stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Now, this could be a reference to the Mediterranean Sea, signifying that this leader comes from the Mediterranean world, or in other words, the Roman Empire. However, in the scriptures, the nations of the earth are often likened to the sea. In Isaiah 17, you don't have to turn to these, just, I'll just read them to you. Isaiah 17, verse 12, says, Woe to the multitudes of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas, and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. Isaiah 57, verse 20, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And in chapter 17 of Revelation, uh, it's kind of an amplification of this chapter in some ways. And John said, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So it seems that this leader will come from the, nation, the, the uh, nations. I'm uh, speaking of the Gentile nations. That's why a lot of people believe he could be a Gentile. He could be a Gentile leader. He comes from the nations. Could that have something to do with the United Nations? I wouldn't doubt it, all right? I wouldn't doubt if the United Nations is instrumental in thrusting this guy into power. Well, once again, verse 1, John says, This beast who rises up out of the sea has seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns. Now, again, Revelation 17 kind of uh, recaps this and even gives us some greater insight But Revelation 17 tells us, and we'll study this more in detail when we get there, it tells us that the seven heads represent seven mountains which symbolize seven world empires which have run their course under under Satan's dominion. In other words, Satan is the god of this world. He has uh, raised up kingdoms, world powers, and those world powers, of course, were designed to thwart the purposes of God. Satan's always trying to thwart what God is wanting to do. Of course, he never does. Of course, God is stronger, but he doesn't give up. He still tries. And these seven heads are seven mountains, Revelation 17 tells us, which represent or symbolize seven world empires that have, that have um, been under the devil's dominion, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. The final empire ruled by Antichrist will be a ten-nation, or I think more probably a ten-region confederacy. The ten horns represent the kings of these ten world regions who will rule under the Antichrist. That's why the crowns are on the horns' heads. The horns represent the ten kings. Ten rulers, ten presidents, call them what you will, the ten leaders 
who make up this 10-region confederacy that, that forms the final world empire. The word crowns in the Greek is diadem. That's the crown of a king. So these are rulers, okay, who are going to be ruling under the Antichrist over the entire world. Again, verse 1, and on his head, that would be on the beast's head, a blasphemous name. Turn to Daniel 11, and I want you to look at verses 36 and 37, and then leave your finger in Daniel because we're going to be coming right back to it. But Daniel 11, starting at verse 36, Daniel uh, is prophesying here of the very same things that we were studying. Much of what Daniel saw dealt with the final kingdom that we are studying about Revelation. He says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He's talking about the Antichrist now. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. That's why he has blasphemous names upon his head, because, or on his heads, because he is a person who exalts himself above every God. We think of him as a political or a secular leader. But he's far from secular. He's very religious. And uh, he doesn't start out that way. He starts out looking, you know, like a good political leader bent on bringing about world peace and prosperity, which he does for a while. Uh, as Paul said, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they won't escape. In other words, uh, you know, he'll engineer some peace and prosperity for a time. But God is going to eventually begin to really pour his wrath out upon the Antichrist and his kingdom. Just as it says here in Daniel 11.36, um, He shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. Who's in control here? God is. And I don't care how crazy the world gets. I don't even care who gets elected this November. I care. But you know what? It's all in God's hands. He's on the throne. He, he makes even the wrath of man to praise him. And so man thinks he's got, you know, going to do his thing and he's going to defy God and he's going to get away with it. He's going to get away with it for a while. But God is going to judge him. Now, in verse 2 of Revelation 13, John says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now, this coincides with the vision Daniel saw in Daniel 7. So if you turn to Daniel 7, let's read this portion, because I think it's really important in understanding what John is really seeing here. In Daniel 7, starting in verse 2, this is Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, that is a reference to the Mediterranean Sea. So possibly the fact that, you know, John saw this beast rising up out of the sea, maybe that is the Mediterranean, and which means that this, this leader will come from the Mediterranean world or the, what was the old Roman Empire. But uh, verse 3, And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till, till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. 
And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, of all the titles given to the Antichrist in the Scriptures, the one title that's not given to him that characterizes him more than any other is the big mouth. Because every time we see this guy, he's running off at the mouth, speaking pompous words, you know, calling himself God. I mean, you know, he's got a big mouth that keeps running constantly. So we ought to call him the big mouth. But skip down to verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by. This would be an angel and asked him the truth of all of this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So that's the culmination. That's Christ coming back and establishing the millennial kingdom, right? But something's really bothering Daniel. Verse 19, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth and spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows." I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, uh, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the, for the saints to possess the kingdom. So again, that's the millennial kingdom when Christ comes and so on. Verse 23, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the... Why different from all other kingdoms? Well, as Daniel saw this vision in chapter 2 of this polymetallic, or I should say Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, which Daniel interpreted. Nebuchadnezzar had a, a, a dream where he saw this polymetallic image, 90 feet tall, head of gold, arms of, what, silver, uh, stomach, uh, arms of, of silver, uh, stomach and thighs of brass, uh, legs of iron, and then ten toes mixed with iron and clay. They're basically the same thing that Daniel sees here in chapter 7. It's just that in chapter 2, the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, that's how man sees the kingdoms of man, as different uh, kinds of precious metals. This is in chapter 7 how God sees the kingdoms of man, like voracious wild animals preying upon each other. Why is this fourth kingdom 
different than all the others. Because the ten toes that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar was a revival of the Roman Empire, but as iron is, mixes with clay but is not strong, it's going to be kind of a democracy in a sense. It's going to be kind of a, a, a ten nations or ten uh, regions of the world that will come together in kind of a democracy. That's why it's not completely strong. It's not like uh, an absolute monarchy like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute monarch. I mean, he didn't go to anybody to ask what he should do about anything. When he made a decision, it stood. It's not going to be that way with these final 10-nation confederacy or 10-region world empire. All right, That's why it's different from all the others. That doesn't mean it's, it's not going to be terrifying, though. Verse 23, And this kingdom shall devour the whole earth, trample it, break it in pieces. Verse 24, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones. He shall subdue three kings. So when the Antichrist finally shows his true colors, he is going to subdue three of the ten regions and put the entire world under his control. In other words, it's not going to be the democracy anymore. Now it's going to be an absolute kind of a monarchy where the Antichrist is going to be in control completely. Verse 25, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half of time simply means three and a half years. A time, one year, times two years, and then half a time, half a year, so three and a half years. All right, back to Revelation 13, verse 2. So John is basically seeing, in a sense, what Daniel saw. But John is only seeing this final kingdom. And yet he says, the beast, now that's a kingdom, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And so... What John sees, this final world empire is going to have characteristics of the others. Uh, It's going to be kind of an an amalgamated kingdom where you have some of all the other previous world empires, in a sense, or the final four, blended together. In fact, the fact that we read of the lion, bear, and uh, leopard, lion, and bear uh, emphasizes characteristics about each of these nations. One writer put it this way. He said, and I quote, The lion was a fitting symbol for the fierce, consuming power of the Babylonian Empire. The ferocity, strength, and stability of the Medo-Persian Empire led to its depiction as a bear. The Greek swift conquest, particularly under the mercurial Alexander the Great, reflect the speed and viciousness of the leopard, end quote. It's interesting that when Daniel sees them, he gives us the order, and then when John sees them, it's the reverse order. Because Daniel's looking forward and John's looking backward. But it's the same idea. That's this, it's this final world empire. In fact, uh, the fourth beast in Daniel 7, verse 7, again, represents this final empire that the Antichrist is going to take charge over. But it's going to be a composite of all the others that have gone before it. And it's going to be Satan's final attempt to to try to once and for all thwart the purposes of God. This is his greatest attempt. Now he's gathered the entire world, all right? You know, we talk about the Roman Empire. We talk about the Grecian Empire, the Babylonian Empire as world empires. Well, yeah, the known world. 
But this fourth empire, this one that's coming, the final world governing empire, is going to literally be an empire that will cover the entire earth. And it's Satan's last attempt to gather the greatest army he has ever gathered to go to war against God, basically. To keep Messiah from coming back and establishing his kingdom. In fact, he so convinces people through the Antichrist that they can go to war against God and win, that when Jesus returns to the planet Earth in Revelation 19, we see the nations of the earth gathered together to go to war against God. I mean, it's a joke. But this is how deceived people are at this time. They actually think they can go to war against God Almighty and win. And, and you know, I'm inclined to say I wish I could be there for that, but we are going to be there for that. We're going to be coming back with Jesus, riding white horses, right, to coming with him to establish his kingdom. And as we're coming through the clouds on these white chargers, and we look at all the nations of the earth gathered together with their bazookas and surface-to-air missiles, and they're going to go to war against the Messiah, you have to laugh, right? They're serious. They're serious. They think they can do it. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.